This morning our scripture reading comes from Colossians. That's where we are, that's where we're going to be for a little while. But Colossians chapter 1, we're going to be reading and looking at this morning verses 9 to 11. The Apostle Paul is writing and he says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might so that you might have great endurance and patience. Wow! He packed a lot of stuff into that prayer. And that's only the first half of his prayer. We're going to deal with the second half of his prayer next week. But you know, as we look at various prayers of Paul in the New Testament, they are quite unique, often quite different from ours, in in that he is constantly praying for others. He is rarely praying for himself. And the requests in his prayers center on spiritual blessings. They don't uh, center on material or physical things. Now, don't misunderstand me. It's not wrong to pray about physical and material needs. But spiritual needs, spiritual issues are so much more important than the physical. How would you pray for a group of people you've never seen? All that Paul knew about the believers there in Colossae was what their pastor, Epaphras, had come and shared with him. So Paul knew of these false teachings that were threatening the church, and so he focused his praying on that problem. And his overarching desire was that they would be filled with the knowledge of God. And with that in mind, in his prayer, we see that Paul made three requests. And we're going to look at those three requests this morning. First of all, he prayed for spiritual intelligence. Spiritual intelligence. The false teachers promised the Colossian believers that they would be in the know if they would accept these new doctrines that they were trying to get them to go along with and that they were suggesting. They used words like knowledge. Wisdom, spiritual understanding, all good words. They were, part, they were part of their religious vocabulary. And so interestingly, Paul uses those same words in his prayer for the Colossians. You know, Satan is so deceptive, isn't he? He likes to borrow Christian vocabulary, but he doesn't use a Christian dictionary. We saw this happen so many times when we were overseas. Same words, sin, heaven, a lot of the words, oh, you know about that. Yeah, but dictionaries are very different. I'm sure you can think of a lot of those kind of vocabulary words today that that are being thrown around. They've, They've come to mean the exact opposite of their true meaning. Definitions have been mind bogglingly turned upside down, and Christians have been buying into it. Many have. 
Paul in verse 9 starts by saying, for this reason. What reason? This goes back to verse 6 that we looked at last week where he was thanking God for the day they truly understood God's uh, grace. For that reason. The report from Epaphras convinced Paul that the believers there in Colossae were true believers. They were born again. They accepted Jesus Christ. They accepted his teaching. But there's so much more to learn from Christ and so much more to learn about Christ. He was telling them, you don't need a new spiritual experience. You only need to grow in the experience that you've already received from Christ. Listen, when a person is born into God's family by faith in Jesus Christ, they are born with all that they need. We are born with all that we need for growth and maturity. This is a major theme in the letter of Colossians here. He says in chapter 2, verse 10, In Christ you have been brought to fullness. You're full. You're complete. You've got everything you need for growth and maturity. No other experience is needed other than faith in Christ. Remember, it's not Christ plus equals salvation. It is Christ alone. Paul's saying, don't go looking for something new and improved. Just continue to move and grow in what you've already received in the beginning. Now, what does Paul say back in verse 9 here? It says, for this reason... Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. So what is he praying for? First, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. The meaning of the Greek word epignosis, translated knowledge in this verse, is referring to full knowledge. Look at the word epignosis, epic knowledge. Full and complete knowledge. Full discernment. Folks, there is always more to learn about God and His will for our lives. That's true. And he has, but He's given us that capacity. He's given us the ability to know that. By what? By the filling of the Holy Spirit. And we had an aunt back in our family that used to say, you know, the Bible and church, you know, I, I've heard all that indicating that there's nothing new to learn. There's nothing more that she could understand. But folks, when we get to that point, if we think that we know all of it, we're in big trouble. The will of God is an important part of a successful Christian life. God wants us to know His will. Acts chapter 22, verse 14 says, God has chosen you to know His will. Isn't that something? God has chosen you to know His will and to see the righteous one, and to hear words from his mouth. Not only does he want us to know it, he wants us to understand. See, knowing is one thing. Understanding and acting upon it is something else. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. He wouldn't tell us that if it was not possible. It's interesting that Jesus calls us uh, his friend. Neat term. In John chapter 5, 15, excuse me, he says, You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything. Listen, for everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. 
That's amazing. It's all here in God's Word. All we need. Everything Jesus said. As we study His Word and as we pray, we discover new and exciting truths about God's will for His people, for you and I. I want to go back to the word filled there in verse 9 a minute. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will. Is that the filling of intellectual knowledge? See, the word fill or to be filled is a key word, is a key concept in Colossians because it was also a key word in the teachings of the false teachers as well. They're trying to influence the Colossian believers. Paul used this concept at least six times in these four short chapters. The word reflects the idea of being fully equipped. It was used to describe a ship fully equipped, ready for its voyage. In the same way, we have in Christ all that we need for the voyage of life. That's why he says in chapter 2, verse 10, In Christ you have been brought to fullness. You have been brought to completeness. We are complete in Him. In the language of the New Testament, to be filled means to be controlled by. In a negative example, when you're filled with anger, what happens? We're controlled by that anger, are we not? We react in that anger. On the positive side, Scripture talks about being filled with the Spirit. It means to be controlled by the Spirit. Paul's prayer then is that these believers might be controlled by the full knowledge of God's will. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will. How does Paul expect that to happen? Through, he continues to say, through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Again, God never asks us to do something without giving us a provision to accomplish it. He never asks an impossibility of us. You see, the Holy Spirit teaches us as we submit to Him. In John chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus Himself says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, will teach you this and that and the other. No, it will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Again, in John 16, verse 13, he says, But when the, Holy, the Spirit of the truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. We don't need an extra or other spiritual experiences. As we pray and sincerely seek God's truth through the Spirit, He gives us the wisdom and insight that we need. As we pray and sincerely seek God's truth. That, that, that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Oftentimes we pray and then we expect God to speak outside of His Word. We want to hear a voice, right? Or we want Him to say something to our heart. I mean, reading God's Word and studying takes time. (laughs) It's hard work. And I think though they may not say it, the attitude of many Christians indicate that they'd rather pray and just have God speak to it. Just be so much easier, be so much more simple. They don't want to make that effort of reading and studying the Word, almost like they're seeking special knowledge, right? Kind of like the false teachers were trying to get the Colossians to do. And then they wonder why God's not speaking to them. You know why God's not speaking to them? 
Folks, God rarely repeats Himself. He rarely repeats Himself. He has already given us the truth in His Word. It's all right there in the Bible. The knowledge of His will is found in written, written Scripture. We need to seek God's will. The wisdom and understanding of His will, the wisdom and understanding of the Bible there comes then from the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that enlightens us, that, that wakes us up and lets us understand through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, Paul says. As He then enlightens us and applies that to our personal life. There's an old, old uh, prayerful hymn that says, Open my eyes that I may see. You remember that one? Glimpses of truth. Thou hast for me. Place in my hands the wonderful key that shall unclasp and set me free. Silently now I wait. That's a a tough part, right? Silently now I wait for thee. Ready, my God, thy will to see. Open my eyes, illumine me, spirit, divine. Folks, that should be our prayer every time we open God's word. Warren Wearsby in his commentary on Colossians says, Spiritual intelligence is the beginning of a successful, fruitful Christian life. He went on to say, I once heard a preacher say, I didn't never go to school. I'm just an ignorant Christian, and I'm glad I is. Wearsby then says, A man does not have to go to school to gain spiritual intelligence, but neither should he magnify his ignorance. You know, some great men of God, great preachers, great theologians of God, men like Charles Spurgeon, G. Campbell Morgan, many others, never had the privilege of formal Bible studies, Bible training. They were, however, devoted students of God's Word, learning its deep truths through hours of study, meditation, and prayers, asking God to open their eyes for understanding. So the first step of of fullness of life is a spiritual intelligence, growing in the will of God by knowing the Word of God. Secondly, Paul prays for practical obedience. Verse 10, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will, verse 10, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. You see, the false teachers in Colossae were trying to attract the people through their offer of the special spiritual knowledge, something extra. But they didn't relate that knowledge to life. Just if you had the knowledge, then you, you'd be reaching the epitome of spirituality. But in the Christian life, knowledge and obedience go together, always There is no separation between learning and living. The wisdom for which Paul is praying here was not simply a head knowledge. It was a deep spiritual heart life knowledge. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, he says, He, speaking of Jesus, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that what? We may present everyone fully mature in Christ. The knowledge should change our lives and make us fully mature in Christ. Again, in chapter 3, verse 16, he says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, and whatever you do, whether in work or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
The message of Christ, the will of God, should dwell in our hearts and it should take up residence there, but that's not enough. We should be so filled with it that it controls us, that it motivates us to speak and to do. And as we do it, doing it all in the name of Jesus, making sure that he gets all the glory and all the honor. All Bible truths are practical, not theoretical. All Bible truths are practical, not theoretical. If we are growing in knowledge, we should also be growing in grace. Peter says in 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The spiritual knowledge of Jesus Christ prompted him to act in grace. His whole ministry on earth, he was acting in grace and it should do the same thing for us. Take a look at verse 10 again, and you see two words wrapped in a third, in front and back, that summarize the practicality of the Christian life. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. Now, in the Greek, the literal word there is to walk worthy of the Lord, and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. Growing in the knowledge of God. So you've got walk and you've got work sandwiched between the knowledge of God's will and the knowledge of God. So let's break down, uh, that down a little bit. You see, I, I, can't, I cannot work for God unless I am walking with Him in a worthy manner. And I can't walk with Him worthily if I am ignorant of Him and His will. All of it works together. The believer who spends time daily in the Word and in prayer will know God's will and then be able to walk with Him and work for Him. Folks, our purpose in life is not to please ourselves. That's the world's purpose for every individual. Be all that you can be. Watch out for number one, and it's not Christ. That's not pleasing God. We should walk worthy of our calling, Ephesians 4.1. We should walk worthy of the gospel, Philippians 1.27, which means we will walk worthy of God, 1 Thessalonians 2.12. We'll be walking to please God, 1 Thessalonians 4.1. And you know what's interesting? It's actually not us who works for God. As soon as we start thinking, I'm doing this, I'm in big trouble. It's, in actuality, it's God who works in us and through us to produce the fruit of His grace. Last week we talked about the fruit that grows and reproduces in us. Paul exhorts the believers in Philippi to continue to work out your salvation that's growing in, in grace and in maturity with fear and trembling, for it is God, listen, it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. Christian service is a result of Christian devotion. The work that we do is the outflow of the life that we live. It's by believing in Christ, by living in Christ, by abiding in Christ that we can then produce the fruit. One author said, God must make the worker before He can do the work. You think about Joseph back there in the Old Testament. God spent 13 years preparing him for his ministry in Egypt. Think about Moses. God spent eight years preparing Moses to lead Israel. 
Jesus spent three years teaching his disciples to be fruit bearers. What it comes down to is that it, it is God's wisdom that reveals God's will. Then as we obey his will, he will then be able to use us to work for him in our daily lives and to bear that fruit. We won't just occasionally serve God when it's convenient. That's not how God wants us to live and to work. But we will, as Paul puts it in verse 10, be fruitful in every good work. Let me circle back just a minute here to the phrase, walk worthy of the Lord. What does that mean? Walk worthy of the Lord. Is that even possible? I mean, it sounds like I've got to accomplish something, right? In order to be worthy of something. I mean, that's, that's what we would normally think in our human thinking. The Apostle Paul used the phrase walk worthy both in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, and here in Colossians 1, verse 10. To walk in the New Testament often refers to the daily conduct of one's life. That's why the New International Version translated as live a life worthy. It's not a wrong translation. Uh, It means the same thing because that's the essence of the phrase. But in the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul encourages the believers with amazing truth. He, He does that in almost every one of his letters. He gives a lot of truth and then he exhorts them to walk worthy. He moves beyond that, that introduction to, to walk. Um, in chapter 4, he turns to the practical application of the theology in Ephesians, and he exhorts them to walk worthy of their calling and position in Christ. I urge you, Paul writes there in Ephesians 4, to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient Uh, bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. All of those are part of living a life or walking a life worthy of Christ. Paul does the same thing here in Colossians in in our passage as he encourages the believers, praying that they would walk worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father. In Romans, Paul assures the Christians in Rome that all whose faith rests in Christ have been baptized into His death and buried with Him, and that now, he says, quote, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That's the whole significance of baptism. We are publicly proclaiming that we're walking in newness of life. We've put away that old life, dying to our old self to live that new life in Christ. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have come, become new, a new life, a new way of living. We are to clothe ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and not think about gratifying the desires of the, of the flesh. We are to put off the old sinful nature And allow the fruit of the Spirit then to be displayed in us. Our daily lives should match our message of the gospel. It should match our position in Christ. And it should match the character of Christ. After all, we have been called out of darkness into light. We've been called out of slavery to sin into freedom. Romans 6. And out of the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 
Chapter 1, the reality of that calling then is reflected in our daily lives as we rely on His divine work to walk worthy. The word worthy kind of has the idea of matching up. Matching up. Our actions should match our words. And what is seen on the outside, our actions, what people see on the outside should match the convictions of our heart on the inside which the Holy Spirit has placed in us. To walk worthy of our calling means to live up to that calling, to live in such a way as to honor God as as we accomplish what He has called us to. And here in Colossians 1, Walking worthy is actually attached to four personal characteristics that he lists in his prayer. The first two we've already talked about, being fruitful in every good work, steadily increasing in the knowledge of God. And third, using the power of God to have great endurance and patience. That's going to be our third point in just a second here. And then fourthly, give thanks to the Father for what he has done. And we're going to be looking at that next week. So in Paul's prayer, he prayed for spiritual intelligence, the knowledge of God, the knowledge of His will. He prayed for practical obedience to live and to walk worthy of the Lord. And then number three, he prayed for moral excellence. Look at verse 11. Being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. This is fascinating as I I started looking at this particular verse. Paul uses two different Greek words to to express God's energy, his strength, his his power. He uses the root word, which we've all heard before, uh, dunamis. He uses that twice. And, of course, we get our word dynamite from that Greek word. It refers to inherent power. And he uses kratos. Kratos, which refers to manifested power. Power that is put forth in action, the work of the power. And the word strengthened in English translation is actually uh, dunamao, being empowered. It comes from dunamis. So we are to be dunamao with all dunamis according to the kratos of His glory. We are empowered with all the power according to the acting power of His glory. Isn't that something? The kathos of His glory, the power of His glory. You remember a number of times in Scripture where it talks about the glory of God being manifested? Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. What happened when He revealed His glory? Those three disciples that were with Him, Bam! They fell flat on their face. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the whole platoon of soldiers fell in the presence of Jesus in His glory. Remember Moses, God hid him behind a rock and would only allow him to see see his back because uh, uh, Moses would not have been able to survive God's glory. The power of His glory, the might of His glory, His glorious might Folks, it is God's kratos, His manifested power working in us. The same power, remember in Ephesians, that rose Jesus from the dead? The same power. It is God's manifested power working in us so that we can walk worthy. He is empowering us to walk worthy. You know, usually when we think of God's glorious power, we think of mighty 
Mighty works being done, right? The exterior things. We, we think of the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. Wow, the power of God. We think maybe of, of King David uh, leading those victorious uh, armies. Paul raising the dead. The evidence of God's power. Love saying those kind of things. We would love that. But what's interesting here in our passage is that Paul's emphasis is not on the outward acts uh, or the results of that power but rather on the Christian character and what it produces in us. It's an inward manifestation or transformation power that produces patience, it produces endurance, it produces joyfulness, it produces thankfulness. We as humans tend to want to see the outward manifestations of God's power. But you know that the inner victories of the heart and soul are just as great, if not greater, than the outward manifestations. Let me read you an incident that took place in the life of King David from 2 Samuel chapter 16. As King David approached Bahurim, a man from the same clan as Saul's family, came out from there. His name was Shemai, Shemai son of Gera, and he cursed as he came out. He pelted David and all the king's officials with stones, though all the troops and the special guard were on David's right and left. It's the gall of this man. All of David's troops and his guards and his soldiers were there with him. As he cursed, Shammai said, Get out, get out, you murderer, you scoundrel. The Lord has repaid you for all the blood you shed in the household of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. The Lord has given the kingdom into the hands of your son Absalom. You have come to ruin because you are a murderer. Then Abishai, son of Zeruiah, said to the king, this is one of David's right-hand men, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over there and cut off his head good idea. Go ahead. That's not what David said. But the king said, what does this have to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? Why are you acting this way? If he is cursing because the Lord said to me, curse David, who can ask, why do you do this? David then said to Abishai and all his officials, my son, my own flesh and blood is trying to kill me. How much more than this Benjamite? Leave him alone. Let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look upon my misery and restore to me his covenant blessing instead of his curse today. So David and his men continued along the road while Shimei was going along the hillside opposite him, cursing as he went, throwing stones at him and showering him with dirt. That would get to me after a while, wouldn't it, you? I would want to react. David had all the physical resources. He had willing men to take him out. More than enough to wipe out Shimei. But David's control of his anger at that moment was actually a greater inner victory than perhaps even the slaying of Goliath. Fascinating proverb in chapter 16, verse 32, says this, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. That's that inner strength, that inner power, that inner might. Verse 11 here in Colossians 1 says, We are to be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Why? So that you may have great endurance 
and patience. That's not an outward manifestation. It, it can be, if, if you're holding it in a, sort of a negative of the outward uh, manifestation, I guess. It's a, but it's an inward manifestation of God's power in us. Patience is an important characteristic of the maturing Christian. Someone once said, if you do not learn to be patient, we are not likely to ter- learn anything else. As believers, we are able to rejoice even in our tribulations because we know, according to Romans chapter 5, verse 3 and 4, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, don't misunderstand what patience is. Patience is not complacency. Patience is endurance in action. Endurance in action. It's not, a Christ, it's not a Christian sitting in a rocking chair waiting for God to work. That's not patience. That's not the spiritual patience we're talking about. It's more like a soldier who's out in the battlefield continuing to fight even when things seem to be going badly. It's a runner on the racetrack. We looked at that in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It's a runner on the racetrack refusing to stop because he wants to win the prize. There are too many Christians whose tendency is to quit when circumstances get difficult. The late president of Wheaton College, Dr. Raymond Edmond, used to remind his students, it is always too soon to quit. That's good. It is always too soon to quit. So, Along with patience that Paul is talking about, we need endurance. That's the second thing he talked about. Look, uh, and looking up the word in the Greek dictionary, makrathomia. I'm not a Greek scholar, but that's how they say to pronounce it. Makrathomia. It gives a definition of forbearance, long-suffering, slowness in avenging wrongs. Isn't that interesting? It actually means self-restraint and is the opposite of revenge. It's actually part of the fruit of the Spirit. Did you know that, that word? Same word, makrathumia, which is often translated as patient. Oh, I'm just going to be patient about this. But it's this word, makrathumia. It is patience, but in a sense of long-suffering and slow to avenge wrongs. It's a word in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, to describe God in His patience towards people because He loves them and, and they have not yet turned to Him. He is patient with you, Peter said. Makrathumia, long-suffering. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. If God, and, and, if God acted in His anger and His wrath, they'd be wiped out immediately. But in His patience, in His long-suffering... Because of his love, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So there's a difference, and there's a difference between those two words that Paul uses for patience and endurance. The word for patience here in Colossians is patient continuance, whereas the word for endurance means self-restraint, slowness to avenge anger, or uh, uh, wrong, slowness to anger. And it's amazing how people can patiently endure Difficult situation only to easily lose temper with a friend or a loved one. Ever notice that? I've done it. So easy. Proverbs has something to say about that as well in chapter 25, verse 28. Like a city that is broken into and without walls, 
is a person who has no control over his spirit. The Holy Spirit can give us that control, can give us that patience, can give us that endurance. Patience and long-suffering go together if we are growing spiritually. You know, Paul understood what the Colossians were going through, what the believers there in Colossae were facing. And God understands, folks, God understands what we face every single day. He understood it then, he understands it now. And he understands that it's so easy to give up, it's easy to get discouraged, it's easy to stop running, it's easy to stop walking that, that life of faith, it's easy just to stop. But God says to us, as he said through Paul to the Colossians, same message, grow in the knowledge of God's will, live a life worthy of the Lord. Bear fruit in every good work and grow in the knowledge of God. Father, this morning, I pray that we will take that to heart. That we would perhaps have a new understanding of the reality of what you're asking us and the fact that you give us the ability to accomplish it. And that ability comes from the Holy Spirit whom you have given to us. Father, I pray that as we step out of the church building on Sunday morning, we've got the other six days out ahead of us. Every day, every moment of the day, we are to be walking worthy of Jesus Christ. Walking in a manner of Christ's character. Walking in a manner of understanding who we are in Christ. I pray that you would lay it on our hearts. Give us a a, a new desire even to, to get into your word, to dig into your word, to study. And asking you to open my eyes that I may see glimpses of truth you have for me. Father, I pray that you would do that work daily in our lives as we give ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen.